0: Um, okay, so uh, this, this is um, one, of the things that, one of the many things that's fun about working here is that this is a church that loves to have a community impact. And uh, in fact, when I was first coming uh, to look at the church and to start to talk to the church, and one of the first things we had was an opportunity to um, partner with a ministry in town. And when I talked to the person who came to me and said, I would love for y'all's church to, to officially partner because you're unofficially already partnered in so many different ways, And she started describing, as she had independently gone throughout the community, going to business people and others and saying, hey, could you help me with this? And she would get no, no, and then she would get a yes. And then she would say, well, what what church are you a part of so that I can kind of reference that? And she said the majority of them were from First Baptist South Campus. And that independently, people were helping and engaging and, and making this ministry happen without knowing it. So she said, you might as well make it official um, and so we did. And so this has been a, a pattern here. Well, one of the, there's a new, um, significant ministry, community wide ministry that's been going on and been building up towards an event in October called City Fest. And Rebecca has really been the, um, the staff leader and liaison with CityFest. Um, if you don't know Rebecca, she's our executive director of ministries and, uh, and she's, oh, look at that. wow Yeah, it's, yeah good job. Um, uh, and so, uh, um, she's really who built our children's ministry up over many years and then took on this new role overseeing all the different ministries of the church in different ways. And so uh, she's been in charge of that. So first, a lot of people may not even know what CityFest is.
1: Yes.
0: What is City Fest?
1: Okay. So CityFest is a single event in October. It's October 5th and 6th. So... Um, About two years ago, or more actually at this point, um, a local businessman started talking amongst his friends and churches in town and said, I feel the Lord is asking me to um, invite revival to Tyler. Which when you look at Tyler, um, you see a church every other block. So it's an interesting concept to think that we say, as a town, we need revival. But what his prayer was is that um, the Christians that are in the church would take notice of those who aren't in the church. There are many people in our community, over 40% of the people in our community don't have any affiliation with the church. It was one of the things they found out. And so that we forget that, I forget that. I look at my neighborhood and I started to realize that that is probably a stat when I go down this way. And so this local businessman um, called up the Luis Palau Association and asked them to come to Tyler and do a festival. It's taken two years to get here. It's going to be in downtown Tyler. Um, It's going to have multiple bands and things there, and it'll be a two-day event where the gospel will get presented multiple different ways, and so that's one of the things we want to talk about with y'all is CityFest is inviting, getting y'all to invite your (coughs) friends to come to this, and then putting it on. Um, One businessman and his little group of friends can't invite, and they're hoping for 20,000 people to come to this event. And so we're going to get plugged in in some unique ways along the way. Yeah,
0: 20,000 people, that's a lot, and means there's going to need to be a lot of Christians there to mm-hmm. coordinate, to lead, to pray, to engage in so many different ways. What's um, what's our church's kind of commitment and role in all of this, that, and that's the event?
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things you know about our church if you've been here. Um, there's kids everywhere, and so everyone, um, youth, teenagers, and children, um, part of being in life of South Spring is to interact with uh, children and youth, and so we volunteered our church to run some stations in the family Fun zone. We're going to be running games. Um, they are Gaga Ball and Nine Square in the Air. It doesn't matter if you don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> it won't doesn't matter at all. But what we need is people who will come and have conversations with others. And so, people who are willing to offer water, people who are willing to stand there and just talk to a mom as she's waiting for her kids, um, engage a father as he's waiting on his daughter, and all those things. So. We're we figure y'all understand being around kids you understand chaos you understand um, creating fun for kids in a biblical way and so that's where we're gonna spend our time both days on a Saturday and Sunday part of the event. So that's during the day we'll be doing that. And then in the evening, if you'll go to the next slide, David, um, what they have done is they've done this unique thing of doing artists. Um, They have some pretty big names coming um, to do a concert. So during from 3 to 7, it is party time. They'll have BMX writers and all these things there. And then that night, we will have these different artists coming to perform and all of that. so even if you sign up to serve and we hope you all do because we need all of you to help us um, we will then turn around and all get to participate in the fun and the invitation of inviting people to these concerts
0: very cool so, is there a number we're aiming for um,
1: so we would like around 120 volunteers um, and then that there's an, another section of this um, there's that our church has been asked to do that I'm very proud of is to also help with a special needs tent. So uh, not everyone who goes to a community event um, can last for three hours out in the sun without needing a break. And so um, there are going to be a few specific people, about 20 to 40 other people that we're going to pull specifically for that. So if you have a training or calling or bent towards that, I've probably already connected with you in this church if you do. But um, if you feel specific to that bent, please let me know. We want to minister to every family and make sure every family can come and enjoy this event at every level
0: so very cool okay last question so people can be praying and thinking about involvement and who they want to invite what do we want to see happen what's the big picture goal for city fest
1: we want to see lives changed so if 40 percent are not attending church um then uh that means this room could be fuller. Um, I know that's hard to imagine, especially if you come to second serve sometimes, but that's across our community. The churches of Tyler are uniting. There are 350 churches across East Texas that are coming together to do this. Because the Luis Palau Association has um, told us over and over again, we're going to preach the word of God. And at 350 churches said, we're in. We want to help. What do you need from us? And so um, there'll be follow-up. There'll be different uh, conversations with every person that comes. There'll be material handouts to believers to help them grow in their faith. There'll be invitations for people to ask questions or to come to faith. And that last slide, David, um, we have, this is of our website. If you go to the events page, there's friendship evangelism, um, which is a training class on just how to have normal, everyday conversations about Jesus with people. So what this is offering us is a chance to learn how to interact um, and talk about our faith on a daily basis, not just on October 5th and 6th. And then um, that will also give you the link to volunteer. But those, those things is to bring our churches together. We're doing a lot of great things, and what has been happening of bringing 350 churches in the same room is we're realizing we're doing a lot of the redundant things and even being able to undergird each other in the gospel in a more beautiful way to make sure the name of Jesus is known. Mm -hmm. And so we're excited. I can't wait to do this with you. And um, go to the website. Join me. It's going to be fun.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, Well, let's pray. And obviously, we want to pray also for... Um, our brothers and sisters and others uh, in, in uh, Ohio and, and in El Paso. And we just want um, it's, to, it's fascinating to be in the midst, you know, it, it's, it's um, amazing how often what we're studying is, is impacted by what's in the news. Um, but the truth is, we could, any, any, any week you're going to teach on tragedy and trouble in the world, um, which Jesus said we would find trouble in the world, that's, that's every week. Right, I mean that's that's not it may not be the same every week but every week there's tragedy every week there's trouble and so um, and so we want to be praying for them and we have we actually um, have some special friends from the church in El Paso and we want to be especially lifting them up as well and so um, uh, just I hope that, that everybody's praying and we'll, if there are opportunities for us to minister in regards to some of these we will certainly let you know as um, we're always looking for those so please uh, pray with me and we'll pray for City Fest as well. Lord. Um, as we're looking at your word today and realizing um, exactly what we're talking about, there's always tragedy somewhere. It's in this world, there's trouble. Um, and Father, as, as people look in all of the wrong places to find peace, um, Lord, is there is there going to be looking to the government? Are they going to be looking to themselves? Are they going to be looking to other human wisdom and, and strategies some of which are good and some of which are bad, and all of which will fall short. Lord, I pray that you will help us to continually to come to your son to find peace. Um, we do believe that, that in the end, fundamentally, we will not find peace anywhere else. And, um, and Lord, I, I pray that somehow in all of this, the distraction is always to something other than your son. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that as, as we have this opportunity through City Fest to draw people's attention here in Tyler, um, even here in Tyler, where it seems like uh, it is, it's 60% of people with some church affiliation rather than 5% or 10% or whatever in some other cities around the country, um, Lord. Um, but um, at the same time, that leaves a lot of people without a, a family um, under the name of your son. So, Lord, I pray that we would um, be invested there and involved there, and we will see some transformation. Um, if, if nothing else, Lord, even that those who claim your son would be set afire um, to reach into their communities and in their neighborhoods with the gospel in a new way. Thank you, Father. And I pray that somehow your name will be glorified in all of this. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Um, okay, so this is, this is here we are, the last little section of John 16, and uh, this, is, this is Jesus' final teaching before his crucifixion. Um, we're going to get another chapter that is a prayer that we will start with next week, Lord willing, but... And this is final teaching before his crucifixion. He knows that and he's communicating that to his disciples and has been for about three chapters. And um, what we saying this morning was, was Rich Mullen's um, kind of summarization of John 14, 15, and 16. And we've talked about, as I've described it, because this is how I visualize it, is that this conversation did not all take place just in the upper room, but took place as they continued to walk. That's that's not a common or, or even, I guess, traditional teaching. Tip, traditionally, it's taught as though this entire conversation happened up there. Um, I don't think that's necessary. And in my mind, it, it just works well to picture him walking and, and seeing things like a vine and and talking about that. Or, or when we get to John 17 and it says that he that he looks up to begin speaking to the Father. It makes sense to me that he's already outside. Now, the truth is, we don't, we don't know. Um, I know Jesus loved to walk and teach, and he loved to use the things around him, but maybe this was all in that room. Either way, here we have Jesus' final teaching um, to them, his disciples, and we're going to start in verse 25. Um, it'll be up on the screen, but also if you've got a Bible, you might want to check me. I talked with uh, the track students this last week, and uh, and told him like don't don't ever trust a preacher like you just don't do it you've got to look in the Bible, make sure it says what he says it's saying don't don't trust him to to, to be honest with that. I am being, but don't trust me either okay so um, i won't I won't trick you on purpose, so I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father, and that day you will ask in my name and I will And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, oh, okay, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God." So this first little phrase here, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, now consider, if you will, these things, that, those two words, these things, I have told you these things. Man, what all does that include? I mean, what are the things that he's been speaking in figures of speech? So first, just in the last three chapters of the book of John, what are some of the things that Jesus has been talking about here in the book of John? Group participation. What are some things that stood out to you over the last few chapters? Okay, the Holy Spirit, right? That's been a big theme. What else? What's that? Abiding? Yes, living with, being in the midst of. That's exactly right, abiding in the Lord and and him abiding in us. Any others? Way back in John, we sang about some of them this morning. Okay, so it starts with this concept of in my Father's house are many mansions, right? I mean, that's a he's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about the afterlife. He's talked about living here and now. He's talked about praying in the name of the Son. hes I mean, this, this has been a significant three chapters. And, he's, and, and by the way, and I don't know that he even just means these three chapters. Like, I've been teaching you these things in, in figures of speech. Maybe part of what he's saying is all along. I mean, we know from you know, Matthew that he taught a lot of it in parables, that he taught a lot of it in stories. And, and so here it is. But he's saying, now the helper is coming. I go to prepare a place. These figures of speech, parables, hidden speech, proverb. That, that, the word there, the figures of speech, mysterious speech, hidden speech. It's sometimes used to mean a proverb, something that's meant to make a point that may not be obviously clear what it is all the time. In other words, you have Jesus saying, this is almost like you're no longer waiting for the promise, but now you're living in the promise. You're experiencing the promise. So this is let's remind us, let's all think about this. He is within a few hours of death. He is comforting his friends. That's what this whole section has been. He's preparing them for what's coming. Chris Sherrod said a couple of weeks ago, can you imagine what the crucifixion would have been like if he hadn't prepared them? What it would have been like for them if he hadn't prepared them. As it was, as Jesus predicts, they're scattered. But, but they would not have even maybe understood what was happening afterwards. This is significant that he warned them. This is coming. When is this hour? When is this hour coming when, he's, when you're going to talk about this stuff? He apparently means, for the resur- he means in the resurrection and for the rest of history. This is, this is a fascinating picture as I was reading commentaries. Many of them came back to this. This is Jesus' declaration of himself as the rabbi, the ultimate rabbi. I've taught things in figures of speech. From now on, I will be teaching clearly. That's what we are experiencing. I hadn't even considered that until all these commentaries wrote this. They kept saying, like this. no, no, we are the receivers of this as well. I am teaching this to you. I'm now teaching the Father to you. These things are going to make sense. Um, McLaren said this, have you sat in Christ's school and do you know the secret and illuminated whispers of his teachings? If not, there is something wrong with your Christian character and something insincere in your Christian profession. What a a fascinating thing when, when we declare that he is our rabbi. I think in my mind, I've kind of always had this idea of he is my rabbi, meaning I follow the teachings that he taught. Versus realizing he's still teaching us. This is part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, I know that. We all know that. We've all experienced it. We say it all the time. Man, I wonder what God's trying to teach me through this, right? If you've never asked that question, as McLaren says, you may not be doing it right. That's it. This is a question we need to be asking. When we face hardship... It is a a natural, intuitive thing of the Christ follower to ask, what is God teaching me in this? What does God try to teach me? I've always thought of King David as the most amazing example of this. (laughs) Poor King David is being chased out of his own kingdom by his own son, who is at that moment taking advantage of David's wives and concubines, his own wives and concubines, on the roof of David's palace, as he is chasing David out of his kingdom, David with a handful of men is fleeing. This, this moron comes up and starts insulting G- David in this moment, calling David names. One of David's men says, hold on a second, I'm going to go separate that guy's head from his shoulders. Just hold on. Let me go do that real quick. And David says, catch this, no, this may be God." Trying to teach me humility. He's not talking about everything that's he just means this guy insulting him. Like I David, I, I think I think God's got a handle on teaching you humility here. Like I don't I don't think he needs this guy's help. Let me go finish this guy off. Like, yeah, David, only David would in that moment go, no, no, God may be trying to teach me something. Yeah, you think? I mean, that's a like, and not subtly, like this is a big deal, but. That's David's assignment. Even under those conditions, he is absolutely justified in any behavior here. But David doesn't want to act until he's sure he's got the lesson God has for him in that. Man, what a powerful thing for us that we recognize. Of course, Jesus is our rabbi still. He is still teaching us. He is still taking us through these things through the power of the Spirit. In that day, Jesus says to his disciples, in that day, you will ask in my name. Now, this is This is so great. He will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from the Father. This is, this is such a great clarifying, and we, we are still doing this today, by the way. We still see this, we still read about this, we still have this false picture. Jesus, Jesus interrupts himself here, because you know what he's going to say, he's already said it two or three times, you'll ask in my name and I will give it, like that's what he's going to say, right? Because what he said already. But Jesus then cuts himself off in mid-sentence to clarify something that he knows we're gonna misunderstand if he's not abundantly clear about it. He is shockingly abundantly clear about this and we still misunderstand it all the time, okay? We still, I'm telling you, it is shocking when you read about it, even in in places where people should know better, is, is we've got this angry God the Father, right? We have a picture, right? We have God the Father, this is God, he's kind of robo-dad, right? He's out to get you. He's, he's like the evil Santa Claus. He's, he's always watching, but there's no such thing as a nice list. It's only naughty list, right? It's just where on the naughty list you hit. This is the image we have of this God, and, and it usually comes through a perversion of the passages of, of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, like, that, that people take those, and they, they either take them out of context or they, or they don 't understand their context or they, or whatever, and so we have this image of this angry God the Father, now part of it that is because so many had angry fathers that that we have angry, edgy, distant, disconnected, abusive, biological or adoptive, or whatever fathers and and that allows us to too easily intuitively imagine God the Father like that and if, if that 's you I, I, I am so sorry that 's what you faced and And I know that makes the intuition harder to not think of God as the one who's cussing at you because you brought a screwdriver when he asked for a wrench. Okay, That's, however, not the correct picture. But what we have is this picture of this angry God the Father. Fortunately, we have big brother hippie Jesus, right? And big brother hippie Jesus is going to get between us and the Father and kind of protect us from his wrath. And like, no, no, Jesus wants to give us good gifts. Jesus is the one who wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is gonna go away and he's gonna try to talk to the Father into not wiping us out. We have this image and it is false and Jesus is completely clear in this passage that this is a false picture. Listen to what he says here. I am not saying that I'm going to the Father on your behalf. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to say like, Listen, guys, y'all stay here and be quiet. Just keep it down. I'm gonna go talk to the Father, see if I can talk him into giving you this Holy Spirit. No, he's abundantly clear. I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. By the way, the same way he loves the Son, he loves us. That's what Jesus said earlier. He's already said that. This This is the picture. This isn't, again, this isn't that, that you know, divorced family with the mom who's always telling the kids like, no, no, your daddy loves you. He really does, and the kid's like, yeah, well, no, he doesn't. And sometimes the kid's right. In this situation, that's not what's going on here. Jesus, is, you, you realize that Jesus, the point, Jesus, the reason Jesus, the reason, you know, that, that big brother Jesus is here is because the Father sent him and empowered him to come. And now the Jesus is saying, listen, when I go, I will ask. But the father, I'm not asking you on your behalf, like to get into no, no. The father, he loves you. He already loves you. He loves to give you good gifts. That's the story Jesus told about the father, is that if you who are evil give good gifts, how much more will the will the father in your father in heaven, who loves to give good gifts, give you the Holy Spirit? He again, don't, get that out of your head. If there's even passages in the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that still stick with you like that, let's make a time to talk about it. There's so much written about it. There are times when it's confusing to us. There's times when it's unclear to us because of the type of books we're dealing with. But, but man, there's a totally different picture if you understand it picturally. So careful. This is a careful correction to avoid precisely what still some are teaching to this day. Asking in my name. Jesus is clarifying. Asking in Jesus' name doesn't mean we aren't going to the Father directly. That's not, that's not, some, weird, there's not some weird breakdown in regards to that. This is... We're going to the Father. We are temples, remember? We are priests. We certainly don't need a mere human to intercede for us, and we don't need Jesus to interfere for us. He is our advocate. John also writes in one of his letters that Jesus is an advocate for us. What a cool picture. So we have a Father who loves us, and and Jesus the advocate with the Father who loves us. That's not a problem. They're not at odds with each other about this. This is a, a joy fest for them. You know I come from the Father. I'm no imposter. I'm the real deal. And listen, this is what's wild. We, have, we can't put ourselves in their position. Can you imagine? So if you've ever preached or taught, probably anything but certainly scripture, there have been times when you've had in your head, I want to take this out of my head and somehow put it in the head and heart of the people who are listening. And you just fail and fail and fail. You keep trying. You're like, how do I, how do I get this out? Can you imagine Jesus trying to explain to his disciples... The greatest expression of God's love ever is happening today. How do I tell you about it? Because as he's just told them, to you it's going to seem like a tragedy. In a little while, you're not going to see me, and you're going to be heartbroken and crushed and scattered. Listen, just don't, don't give up. It's going to get better. It's going to, I'm going to turn this around for you. But how, how hard to explain this to people who can't possibly wrap their brain around it? I know it's going to look bad for a little while, but the most amazing expression of God's devotion and love and sacrifice for you, for the world, is happening today. And they're going, "All right, what do you mean by a little while later?" That always strikes me funny. That that's the question they ask in the midst of that. When 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 Paul was teaching that, that's always what strikes me so. Like you get this, you get Jesus teaching this stuff, and then they go, "What do you mean by a little while?" Seriously, that's your question. Anyway, that's, I, we laugh. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun with them. Remember, this is, this, is, this is the fulfillment. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's that day. That's the day that we're on in John 16. 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. When we... Met recently with those, some of those who have gone to Israel with us, and I asked for the themes of Israel. John Keeling, who's one of our teachers, said, man, that just struck me, the reminder that God came near. We, you, when you go to, if, you, if, you're, if you're like many, you go take a trip to Israel, and what you expect to have is this huge, powerful, spiritual experience. Um, but as someone pointed out in that meeting, what you really have is a very powerful physical experience. The, 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 you, we, we always picture Jesus as being these perfect, white, glowing, bleached robes with a beautiful Perfect blue sash, and his hair is always flawless, and he's always clean, and his fingernails are perfect, and all that kind of stuff. You go there, and what you realize is there would have been big sweat stains under the white, his armpits on those white robes, and the robe would have been not white, but kind of sand, even if it ever was white, it would have been sandy colored because there's dust on everything, and his his feet and his hands would have been worn and wrinkled. I mean, it, it would. We get this all of a sudden. You remember, like that's right. Jesus came here. God came here and he got dust on his feet. I mean, that's he got wet standing in the Sea of Galilee like the water lapped on his feet. I mean, this is a, you have this this powerful picture. God came near. This is the, I have come from the Father and into the world. And he's been living in the world among us. He came right here. He had a job to do and he's about to do it. And when he's done, he's gonna go back to the Father. But then he's still not done in that he's still gonna come back again. And by the way, again and again and again, and then he's going to go away, and he's going to come back yet again. Now, he is sending the paraclete. This is a mystery to us. It was beyond the comprehension of the disciples. How do I know it was beyond the comprehension of the disciples? Because they thought they got it. Verse 29, his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech now we know that you know all things and so do not need anyone to question you. See, now, okay, now we get it. That's a, that's a bad sign. It's, it's always a bad sign when, when we think we've got it. Like, okay, now, all the T's are crossed, all the, all the I's are dotted, we got it, punctuation's in place, we're good. Um, that means you've got another book to read uh, or more. So it's a, if, if you've ever done much studying, you know this, again, the, the, the common experience for us as humans they quote him, yes, we believe you came from God. This is a vital theological threshold. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You came from God. Now, he said he comes from the Father, and they say you come from God. I don't know if that indicates a misunderstanding or not. Some people think that they're still not fully grasping what it means that he is the Son. Uh, maybe, maybe that's nitpicking. Certainly, they have missed the phrase, I'm going back to the Father, they have wrap their brain around the idea that he's come from God. They kind of leave out the, and we also understand what it means when you say you're going back. I don't think they get that part yet. How many times has this happened? In, in John 1, Nathanael believes, finally, right? Nathanael believes, but as a rabbi and king. At Cana, the disciples all do it again. Oh, now, we, Oh, now we get it. Now we believe, uh-huh. This this has happened multiple times in the book of John, that now they get it, now they believe. Now, we can tease them about it, and I think in good spirit do and can, and I think they would appreciate that. Um, At the same time, that's still just us, though. I mean, we've experienced this, at least I hope you have. I hope you've experienced the joy of being pretty sure you had your theology wrapped up and then having God break it into a million pieces for you and let you start over um, it is the most freeing thing in the world, as, as God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I often describe it as like, as like being someone who, who you, there's, a, there's a room that you're going to look into, and you, and you look in the room through a little peephole, and, and you can see that the room is a certain size, and you can see a certain things in the room, and they're really there. By the way, they're there. It's not the old, that old atheist question of, well, if you don't know everything, how can you know anything? And that's just dumb. I don't have to know everything to know something. That's ridiculous. Of course, I, can, I, I don't know what all is in the room, but I can see what I do see. There's a desk over there. See, there's a desk right there. I can see it. This room's probably about 10 by 10. And then the, you get to look through a little window in the door, and you realize, it's not 10 by 10. It's more like 40 by 40. It's a bigger room than I thought it was, and I can see more there. So all of a sudden, you thought you had 1% of it, but it turns out that 1% was a lot smaller than the 1%. And the, the more information you get, the, your percentage keeps going down. And at some point, you open up the door, and you're like, oh, this isn't a 40 by 40 room. This is a 1,000 by 1,000 foot warehouse. Well, you, you just gained huge amounts of information, but your percentage shrunk. This is what it's like to get to know a God like this. This is what it's like just to get to know people, but what it's like to get to know God. And this is what they're discovering is, okay, now, okay, new threshold. I now understand this. I get this. My brain, okay, good. I'm good on this. I'm good on this. They may be thinking like, we're totally good. We've got it. All right, no more questions. We don't even need to ask you any more questions. Let's put this, We don't even need to ask you any more questions. We're so solid. We're done. No, no. You just you do whatever you're going to do. I guess you're going to go away now. That's what we understood. You're going to go away. You go you go cuz we're good. And then you, when you come back, we'll be we'll be like they have no idea what's coming. They have no clue. They still are totally clueless as to what's going on. But they don't even think they need to ask questions. That again, it's a beautiful place to be when you know when you know I don't even know enough to know which questions to ask. That's, a, that's not where they are. They, think, they seem to think they've got it. His disciples did not understand these things at first. It said back in twelve sixteen, by the way, John twelve sixteen. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. That's when they're going to get it better. That's when they're going to get as much as a person can probably get is when they understand that. Listen to, um, as we're talking about this week um, John pointed out the Job passage, Job 42, um, five, starting verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job learned a lot about God in the story that we have about Job. Some, some he was happy about, some he wasn't so happy about, but the, but the truth was revealed. Okay, I'm getting it more and more now. This is why the Deuteronomy 6 model is the model for ministry that we embrace that is all the time we're talking about it when we're standing and when we're sitting and, and when we're walking and when we're laying down. And it's it's just part of our ongoing conversation and learning. I think the, the concept of going, oh now I get it, is a wonderful precursor for later going, oh now I get it. And then later going, Oh now I get it. God is revealing Himself to us more and more all the time through His Spirit. Jesus answers them, Oh now you believe? Do you believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Now, this, this, if this doesn't give you a little chill, he's been saying the hour is coming for a whole book, for three, for three, three years. And that's not how long we've been in it, but how, in the book. That he's been saying the hour is coming. The hour is not time. It's coming. It's not time. It's coming. The hour is not coming. The hour is coming, but it's not here. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone yet i'm not alone for the father is with me you think you get it this is what this is the, the way I, i'd never pictured it this way till reading at this time that jesus said the hour is coming wait no no the hour is here when this is going to happen he didn't have a watch but that's how, I, I mean like a little you get that i just had this image of like it's like it's not, it's the hour, he's been, he's so used to saying that the hour is coming and then for the first time he doesn't, he has to, oh wait, no, no, the hour is here. It's here, it's now. There's not another hour that's going to go by before this, the, the dominoes are, are falling. This is going to happen now. He's headed home too, just like they are going to be. They're going to be scattered and head home. Well, that's what he's doing. He, however, will not leave them alone. He has said over and over again, he will abide with them, the constant intimate communion with the Father that he has, and through the Spirit he passes along to us, the kind of love that he has for us, the Father has for us, the Spirit has for us, and that we're called to have for one another. Isn't it fascinating? So when you consider that in some ways Jesus has not been alone, and yet he has been alone, Jesus' existence on earth was always an alone, not alone existence. And I think many of us can identify with that at times. There's a sense in which we as Christians, this isn't our home, and so we're alone. It feels strange. Um, growing up here, it's, it's an interesting thing to just be used to things, the way things are. Um, it was, a, it was a, an, an interesting experience for me. One of the first times I got to travel to a, to a truly foreign culture to me in Egypt and got divided from the guy who I was with and was standing outside of the, the um, museum in Cairo, and it was me and 100,000 Egyptians and I was, I was able to find him because we're both over six feet tall. And, uh, and, so, and so we stood like It was like, uh, where did Travis go? Where did Travis go? Like, oh, wait, he's 200 yards over there, but he's a foot taller than everybody else who's standing around. So I was able to find him because like, my heart was sinking quickly. I don't know where I am. I don't know these people. I don't speak their language. I, don't, I, don't, I am in over my head, so to speak. And seeing Travis over there, was like, oh, okay, I, I can work my way towards him. That's an alone, not alone kind of feeling that I think we all have it sometimes, and Jesus has experienced that, and then he is saying, but the truth is, of course, he's never alone. Right here in in Jesus' simple words, in this world, we will have trouble. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. Some translations, trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This word, take heart. As we're talking about this week, Paul noticed that this this is a word that only Jesus uses um, in the Bible. Uh, It's used in other places and other Greek writings, but only Jesus uses this tharseo, to take heart, to have courage. But the problem is there's suffering here. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. This is such a a strange statement. You're going to be scattered to all your homes. I'm about to go away. You're going to be filled with sorrow. I've told you this so that you can have peace? How is that possible? No, no. Notice, you don't want to leave the phrase out, which is a temptation for me to do as well. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. Remember our vine? This week, I wasn't sure if this had gotten thrown away or not when we were discussing it. and Paul was like, this may be a good time to pull that sucker back out. This sitting away, not being in, this branch not being in the vine has grown desiccated and dry and brittle, not unlike some Christians. That that is a, that's a, that picture of, we're not going to find peace out there. We're not going to find peace somewhere else. Um, there is suffering here. It just is. This was a, this is the number one issue that, that a lot of times drives people into questioning whether or not there is a God at all is because of the suffering that humans face. As we face these challenges and face these difficulties in life. And, and here's what's interesting. Studying the different world religions and reading through their different holy books and listening to their teaching. Part of why I'm a Christian isn't because Christianity offers a fun answer to the problem of suffering or, or evil. It just offers a real one. There's a dog being trained, by the way. A service dog being trained in the room. So don't freak out if you're going like, what is... Somebody, somebody's having an odd response to the sermon. <laughs> Could someone translate for us, please? Someone translate the tongues. Um, okay, so, uh, so in, this, in this situation to go, this, this is Jesus teaching this. Of course, there's going to be trouble. I love that Jesus is realistic about this. There's not this like, hey, you know what? It's all going to work smoothly. It's all going to go work out for you. And by the way, there is tribulation and trouble that is brought into our life by God. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to face Satan. God, God doesn't, he, the word trial and tribulation are the same word. I mean, we face trials and we face tribulations and they're not, they're not always bad things. We talked about that when we had the atheist here, David Smalley, and he started talking about this. And then as he was talking and just on his own started talking about, well, I get what you would say. Like it's kind of like going to the dentist. That's, that's not always really fun, but it's good for us. And then he goes like, ah, I kind of just made your point for you, didn't I? <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll, just, I'll just stop. You did great. Yes, we face trials and tribulations, and often they are for our benefit. But sometimes they're just trials and tribulations brought about in a fallen, messed up world and our own foolishness and sin and the foolishness and sin of others. There's not an easy answer to this, to go like, why doesn't God fix this? I don't know. He hasn't told me. I think He will. And I think when he does, and we're able to see the other side of the tapestry and what it looks like, then it'll begin to, oh, see, that was vital. That was important that that happened. Oh, it's a, I think that's the case. But the truth is, we live in a fallen and broken and messed up world. It's almost like we need a God who loves us enough to send a Savior to save us from this sin and from this death. Um, that's the picture that we have. Again, Jesus is honest here, and I appreciate that. He doesn't sugarcoat this. In this world, you will find trouble. It's not going away. He's not flippant. He's just telling the truth. This is the way that it is. In this world, you will find trouble. In me, you can find peace. This is a fulfillment from Micah 5. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. The key, in me, like the vine and the branches. Not in you, you will not find peace in you. Not in me, Chris, you will not find peace in me. Not in this building or these people, you will not find peace. Here, not in the world, not in the Republicans, not in the Democrats, not in the politicians, not in the democracy or the socialism or the picket, you won't find peace there. In him, you will find peace in the midst of everything else, whatever the vine, whatever the branch faces, in the vine is the only place where it finds peace. He never encourages us finding peace in our circumstances, in whatever they are. you will not find peace in these and so Jesus had told them their joy would be in seeing him again. That is our peace, not in the world. He is my rabbi. He is the one who has overcome the world. Is he yours? This week, um, uh, uh, little Olivia, um, uh, Elizabeth called, contacted me. And she said, Olivia wanted to pray this week, but here's the way she said it. This is good theology. Um, Elizabeth Smith and Joanna Jordan, uh, Joanna's uh, daughter, Olivia, said... Um, I'm ready, I'm gonna make sure I said, I'm ready to ask Jesus to be the boss of my heart. Like that we'll preach, Let's tell you. Not many of us knew that's what we were doing, did we? We might not have signed up if we'd fully understood that. Listen, only in Jesus being the boss of our heart, only in him will we find peace. Let's pray. Father, help us to find peace in your son. God, thank you that you loved us enough that the plan that you, the triune God, had was to send Jesus to live as a person. To experience life as a human being. To die as a human being, as a servant, as a shameful death. And then to be raised again from the dead and to send the, the, your spirit, to send the spirit to us. That we could abide in you. Thank you for this good gift. And I pray that we will embrace that, engage with that. Thank you that you have sent yourself to be our rabbi you are our teacher our guide your spirit convicts us and sanctifies us your son commands us lord teach us to obey in the power of your
1: spirit in the name of your son and in your perfect will amen